how much of reality do we actually see? Vision, our eyesight, is one of our most powerful senses. With it, we perceive, we see, we witness, we experience things in ways that can even transform us. And yet, we need to ask ourselves, when we see something, how much of it are we actually seeing? Is it just the surface level? 1%, 2%, 3%, more, less? We know today that there's an entire substrata, subatomic particles, DNA, subcellular levels that are completely invisible to the naked eye. Indeed, they're invisible even to instruments. And yet they're the driving force of existence. You look at the surface of the earth, we know there are forces beneath the surface, all the way to the very core of the earth. And the same thing in outer space. Wherever you look, we know that what you see is not always what you get. So please join me in this journey of entering the bigger picture. What you see is not always what you get. And discover deeper dimensions and how we can actualize them into improving our lives, into being more real and experiencing the full picture, not just the superficial surface. Hi, this is Simon Jacobson, and we will be going on a journey on the topic, What You See Is Not Always What You Get. This uh, program is dedicated to uh, Marty Wertlieb, who just celebrated his 90th birthday with all her love by his wife, Gloria. How much of reality do we actually see when you look at something, are you seeing 1% of it, 2% of it, more, less? Vision, our eyesight, is one of our most powerful senses, maybe the most powerful sense of all. We all know how when you see something that attracts you, that draws you, how much it can seduce us, for good and for bad, and how it can mesmerize us. You get completely absorbed in something visual. And yet, we also know, and we need to ask ourselves, how much are we actually seeing? You see someone's beautiful face. What lies behind the face? How many dimensions are there? Today we know there's an entire substrata of reality, the dimensions that we call, first we'll start on the physics level, the molecular structures, that, with beneath that the atomic ones, Subatomic, sub-subatomic, and the same thing in the human being. Beyond the limbs and the organs and the internal organs, we have our cells, our DNA, our genetic makeup, things that are invisible to the naked eye, but yet are not just part of us. It's actually the essence. It's what drives a person. It's the forces beneath the earth. How many layers are there? In outer space, 
So as powerful as vision may be, we also have to recognize that it has its limitations. Some things are just not visible to the naked eye, even to, even to powerful instruments. So that's the first thing. Then, furthermore, it could also be deceptive what you see. You may see one thing, and what's really going on may be very different, just on a very human level. There's the concept of uh, duplicity, of hypocrisy. A person can say one thing and feel something else. Someone can smile to you and unfortunately and stab you in the back. So just because something looks good doesn't mean it's, not, it's necessarily good. You can get a candy, a sweet candy, that can actually be poisonous. So not everything that's appealing to the eye and looks right is necessarily right. It could be malicious, as I just ex- exa- explained, or it could be not malicious. It could just be that outer surfaces don't necessarily re- reflect what's within. And we've all mis- made these mistakes where we misunderstood or misinterpreted something, that we saw with our own eyes and then came to discover it wasn't at all what you thought it was. So this isn't just a curious question. It also affects us. Because if reality indeed is far bigger than what our vision can experience, it's critical to know that because it will help us understand life. Every time you go to so-called expert, and I say so-called, I mean real expert, what, the, what is an expert really about? In any given area, whether it's a financial expert, a medical expert, a scientific expert, anyone with experience is able to see more than the layperson can see, more than a novice. What are they seeing? Not necessarily physically seeing. They can see a pattern where many of us will just see randomness. They will see a, a trajectory. That's what wisdom does. It illuminates dimensions that are not always visible initially, ostensibly, to the, on the surface level. And the more we get experienced, the more we're able to see things. You see things that are deeper, just as an example of all these deeper dimensions. So as I said, this isn't just a nice, interesting discussion. It actually gets to the heart of how we experience reality and what is real. When many people speak about God, they say, well, I don't see God. I, I only relate to things I see. But there's so much of life you don't see. You, don't, you also don't see love. You may feel it. You may think you feel it. You also don't see ideas. So then, of course, there's a different way of seeing, conceptual sight, or emotional sight, so to speak. In other words, we have to expand our horizons and our repertoire, and our tools and instruments of how we see certain things. So if you look just with the naked eye, the analogy that I often share with, uh, with, with the Sir Arthur Eddington, who was a physicist, a scientist, and was asked in the 30s, I believe, about all these bizarre conclusions they were coming to in the world of quantum mechanics, literally counterintuitive, and, someone, and people asked, but we never saw an atom, let alone subatomic particles. How can you come to all these strange, counterintuitive, anti-logical conclusions? And he gave the analogy of a fisherman that spread his net across all the seas and began to gather all types of fish, different species, different shapes, different colors, different sizes. 
different sizes. And then he began to document. And he finally came to a conclusion. Conclusion was there are no fish in the sea that are shorter than a half inch long. Well, his little daughter heard this brilliant conclusion. She said, Daddy, we have little goldfish in our fish tank that are shorter than a half inch long. I'm sure they're also in the sea. So they look at the net that he used, and of course the net, the spaces between the ropes of the net were half inch. So what happened to all the fish that were shorter than half inch? They fell back into the sea. So he just had to have, add one qualification. When you use a net of half inch spaces, you will never catch fish that are shorter than half inch long. But you don't need a scientist for that. In other words, sometimes you come to a conclusion and the issue is not the item that you're measuring, it's your measuring stick. It's your instrument. I always love that uh, Chelem story, the farmer from Chelem. So Chelem was this town in Poland. They say we're very wise people, but their neighbors created this whole folklore of the fools of Chelem. They have hundreds of stories, unbelievable in psychological insights into the human condition. So the farmer of Chelem, of course, Chelem was a small town. You can imagine the farm was, was uh, very negligible. But it was his farm. He had inherited from his parents, who inherited from their previous generations. So he cared for every grain of soil, was like his baby. One day he gets a visitor, a cousin, big city farmer from uh, Iowa, United States of America. A farm that he had was thousands of acres. So he gives him his royal tour of his Chelem farm. Then they sit down to dinner, and he says to his cousin, so what do you think about my farm? He says, well, it's nice and cute, but it's so tiny. The Chalim farmer's taken aback, he's insulted. And he says to his cousin, he says, how big is your farm back in Iowa? How is he going to explain to a small town, rural, provincial farmer the size of a farm in the United States? Bigger than probably the entire town of Chalim. So he's thinking of a point of reference, and he says, ah, okay. My farm, it takes me all day to travel with my tractor from one end of the farm to the other. Suddenly the Chalem farmer, with compassionate eyes, looks at his cousin and says, don't feel bad, cousin. I once had a tractor like that too. He couldn't even fathom that size. So he was convinced, he was convinced it must be the, the vehicle. And he remembered, he also once had an old shmata jalopy that took him all day to crank up to go from here to here. That's why it took him all day. See, he wasn't being malicious. He wasn't being cynical. So if you ask people, are you subjective, objective, closed-minded, narrow-minded? Most people are not going to say I'm narrow-minded, closed-minded. Because part of being subjective is it makes you think you're objective. But the answer has to be like the story with the fishermen. You're as objective as your perspectives allow you. Which means, based on what you know, you can say there are no fish in the sea that are short half inch long based on your instrument, based on your vehicle. But in fact, there could be a reality that's far beyond your imagination. Just like if you ask somebody, what does the horizon look like? If they're standing in a valley, they'll give you one answer. If they're standing on a plateau, another answer. If they're standing at the bottom of a mountain, a third answer. 20 foot feet up on a mountain, another answer. And if they're on top of, of Mount Everest, 
uh, another answer. Is one of them more truthful than the other? No, they're telling you all their perspective. That's what I see. So as powerful as vision is, we have to also acknowledge that it has its limits based on the instrument. And to open yourself up to other vistas and higher perceptions, higher states of consciousness, you need to open exactly that. A higher state of awareness, a higher state of consciousness to be able to experience something that the physical eye of flesh and blood cannot see, at least right now. And that's why we use our minds. The expression in the book of Proverbs is the eyes of a wise person is is in his mind. We use our minds, which are compared to vision, visualizing, envisioning. We use our hearts. And then we sometimes have to use far beyond that, even our imaginations, our dreams, our superconscious. We know today that Einstein and the unbelievable, unprecedented innovations he came up with is precisely because he was not studying in the mainstream schools of the physicists. He was a postal clerk, and he had, in a way, he was out of the box and was thinking in ways that others weren't thinking. Now, obviously, in a scientific method, it has to be proven. You have to substantiate it. It has to be replicated. But still, sometimes an idea will come up that isn't purely based on yesterday's observation. Because if it's yesterday's observation, you'll get the results of that observation. If you, the instruments you've used till now, the results will be based on those instruments. Or in the expression of Einstein, to solve a problem, you have to go out of the system where the problem was created. And that's why we're blessed with the ability to go beyond. Especially when you're dealing in the world of emotions, in the world of love, of romance, there, the mind is definitely limited. So this is not to dismiss the tools of vision or the tools of our logic and rationale. It's meant to actually expand it. And going back to looking at each other, you meet a person. So very often, even though the most famous cliché that nobody follows is don't judge a book by its cover. But we do judge a book by its cover. It's actually a billion-dollar industry. Packaging, marketing, the package, what it looks like. So we look at the cover of another person. We see their body language, their face, expressions. We make our judgments. But we all know that you don't really know the other person. Imagine someone judging you by your cover, by your face. So then there's another dimension. You start speaking to the person, get to know the person. It can take time until they open up, till you begin to share deeper things, till you, till you begin to appreciate what they're about. And as you travel, what are you discovering about the person? It'll be the same face even 20 years later, even someone you deeply love. But that face represents, represents much more that is not obvious to the naked eye. The entire inner personality. And frankly, that's a journey forever. We never get to know anybody 100%. We don't even know ourselves 100%. 100%, that's a big number. The question is 20%, 10%. How do we know? If we don't know how deep it is, you can't know what percentage you, do, you are aware of. But that's not meant to dismiss what we know. It's meant to actually open us up to the honest truth of deeper and deeper realities. Indeed, the search for God, the biblical story of Abraham, and all those that searched for a higher truth, 
essentially was going along this trip, beginning with what they could perce- what you perceive with your eyes and ears, with your five senses, taste, sight, sound, taste, touch, and smell, realizing that there's more to reality than that, beginning to broaden the possibilities by looking beyond, by using other tools, the tools like emotions, mind, using language that's beyond conventional language, metaphor, imagination, dreaming. And then Abraham came to the conclusion, interestingly, that as much as he will continue to seek this higher truth, it'll still be an extension of him seeking it. Which means, even if he broadens his instruments and widens his perspectives and climbs to the top of the mountain, it's still, at the end of the day, there's going to be broader instruments. It won't be a, a, a net of half-inch long. It'll be a net of a millimeter long or wide. It won't be a farm this size. It'll be a much bigger farm. Everybody has their farm. Everybody has their subjective perspective. How do you get beyond that? So he came to realize the most important tool of all in discovering reality, suspending yourself. Not just saying there are bigger instruments and let me try to climb to a higher mountain or get a bigger perspective, wider perspective. To actually suspend yourself, melt away, dissolve, and allow a higher presence to emerge. In a sense, in saying, saying it like this, that if God is meant to be a truly higher reality, a true God, it's not me looking for God, it's God looking for me. I'm a part of a larger whole. How could the part define the whole? I need the whole to define the part. And whole I mean with the W, the complete and beyond. And indeed, when you study mysticism, Jewish mysticism in particular, that's what you come to learn about. You learn about these wider horizons, but more than that, you learn how to access them And you access them by not just recognizing that your instruments are are limited, but by allowing yourself just to experience. Go silent. You don't need to speak. You don't need to process. You don't need to define. You don't need to measure. You're not the arbiter of reality. You're a part of it. And if you want to experience the higher reality, just let go of your ego. Let go of yourself. And you don't disappear. You then become part of you dissolve into something greater it's just like using an example someone's reading a book you're reading a book and the idea the book is very much capturing you you're consumed with it to the point you turn the pages you may be crying and laughing you don't even realize you're reading a book especially if it's a good author what's happened you can't even talk about it because you're so absorbed. You're, you're, you're in the experience. You put yourself aside, what they call sometimes being in the zone. It's being channeled through you. And the you, as an independent observer, the subject and the object have all merged into one. As an independent observer is right now not there. And that's why you don't even realize you're turning pages. You don't realize you're reading words. You could always stop the proud. You could always stop and look at yourself. And then you become observing yourself. Then, of course... That spell is off. That trance is off. The same is in anything you do. You hear about, I speak as a writer. When you're in the zone, it's just channeling through you. You hear about it in sports, in music, in the area where you are no longer sensing yourself. You can go through a whole night and not realize you're hungry or tired. This doesn't always come automatically. (laughs) 
As a matter of fact, it never comes automatically. And you can't always predict when it will come. You may want it to come that state of total um, singularity, if you wish, where you become completely one with whatever your experience is. Not that you're experiencing it, that there's no longer a verb, it's a noun of oneness. But when it comes, it's unbelievable. When you say true love, is love a verb, an action, or love a noun, a state of being? State of being is when two people merge together like one flesh, in the words of the Bible. Now, we all can wish this type of experience, but you have to work at it. You prepare yourself properly, and you're ready for it, and don't let your ego and self get in the way. You'll have that experience. The problem is the self. You're... you're too self-conscious. You're thinking about me. My, I want to experience it. When you want it too much, it doesn't work. When Moses said to God, I want to see you. Show me your face. God said, no one can see my face and live. But we know that earlier God said to him, look at me by the burning bush. And Moses covered his face and God says to him, when I wanted you to look at me and I offered you to look at me, you didn't look. Now you want to see me on your terms? doesn't work that way. You have to let go of yourself, and then you can see something that's beyond you. But this is a yes, I, I, I don't like the word surrender, but it is a form of surrender, but a good surrender. Not surrender as in weakness, you surrender to, to your adversary. But a surrender of your conscious faculties and of your senses to experience something beyond yourself. Now, the big question, of, of course, is can you bridge the two? And the answer is absolutely yes. Because at the end of the day, that one reality also affects the outer surface. The problem is if you only worship or only define things by what you see. But when you're able to suspend and experience that which is within, then what is within shines without. It becomes a seamless flow. So when you look at someone that you really know well, you see their face, you're seeing much more than a face. You're seeing everything you know about them. You're experiencing everything you know about them. So the goal is actually to use the expressions, the defined expressions of existence, our senses, our instruments and tools, to experience that which is beyond expression. Yes, to express the inexpressible, to define the undefinable, to see the supernatural within the natural, to use the structure to transcend structure, the ultimate goal, a seamless fusion between that which we consider invisible but is truly real with the visible to the point that you can perceive it with the reality just as if you're seeing it with your own eyes. But that takes a lot of work. It takes refining yourself. It takes the ability to suspend ego and self in order to experience it and then allow it to flow through you. In a way, we look at children especially young, young children, newborn children, with a certain fascination. Because they carry that type of seamlessness. They have not yet developed two realities, a duality. That what you see is not what you get. There's no duplicity. What you see is exactly what you get. And look at that face. The face is pure, innocent. It's just the outer expression of an inner human being. It's when we start maturing and start learning from adults around us how to be duplicitous, how to lie, 
And I'm not saying everything has to be always said. Children have to, are often told by their parents, don't say everything you see. But I'm talking about when it goes over to a point already being deceptive or secrets. And what happens? What do these secrets do? Especially secrets of pain and trauma. They're one of the worst toxins in our lives because they're going against the very grain of this singularity, of this seamlessness. Healthy love is celebrating vulnerability, celebrating a connection with another, not one that's based on negotiation and based on manipulation and maneuvering two people who are what? Dissolve into one. The dissolving experience. Something that we have very little of today. For that, you need a lot of trust, a lot of confidence, which often has been stripped from us or at least compromised in our lives. Growing up in homes or environments that are people using us, parasitical environments, predators, in a subtle way or a less subtle way. But it's completely accessible because that's who you, who, who you really are. So you see what you see is not always what you get is actually the opening of a true journey. If you think what you see is what you get, you will be blinded. It will be like the Chalam farmer who will never understand that there's something bigger than his farm. I remember the early days of technology. When I mean technology, I mean modern technology, internet and so on. So the digital world was being created. So everyone was asking, what you see on the screen, is that what you get? And that was actually the words that they said. What you, they had an acronym. What you see is what you get or what you see is not what you get. I believe the acronym was what you see is what you get was W-Y-S, what you see. I, what is W-Y-G. If you add it, is not I-N-W-Y-G. And that was like, in other words, when you, let's say, design something. So when you saw it on the screen, were you see, was that actually how it's going to look? Or you have to print it out to see what it looks like and then adjust of course, that was a technology, is to have what you see is what you get. That what you see on the screen or what you see with your eyes is actually what is being produced. But that just underscored the whole point, that reality is not always what you see. So the, the beautiful news is that though it's concealed, the inner from the outer, but in truth they come together and deserve to be. And the healthiest life is when there is a seamless flow between the two. So this is not about suspending yourself in, out of weakness, it's out of strength. It's coming to discover that if you want to experience your true reality and the true reality of others, you need to put yourself aside. So use your eyes, your ears, your touch, taste, and smell to the fullest. But at times, close your eyes and close your ears and close them your touch, taste, and smell. And what are you left with? The real you. That's not affected by your senses. Remember, the senses, you don't need the senses to experience yourself. You don't need eyes to see yourself. You don't need ears to hear yourself. And you don't need taste, touch, and smell to experience yourself. They are essentially bridges, interfaces, like a yeah, bridge between you and others. You can see others, they see you. And the same with the other senses. So they're very valuable, but don't over-worship them. They're part of your life. The real life is you beyond your senses. 
the supersensory world. So use your eyes to experience something that's beyond the eyes and your ears to hear something beyond the sound. And the same with taste something beyond taste and touch something beyond touch and smell something beyond smell. Just like when you listen to a piece of music, you're hearing them sounds, but there's something far more that you're hearing. The melody, the harmony, the message, the sentiment, the feeling, the joy, the sadness. And the same thing is when we look at things. So it's about using our, uh, these tools to experience that which is beyond these tools. And when you do that, your life changes. You open yourself up to healthy love, healthy connections, and in general, look at things in a far more profound and intimate way. Until the day comes when we come to discover that it's actually not a journey from outside in, but a journey from the inside out. We begin by seeing the surface of things with our sensory tools, and then we travel inward into the world, into the sub-stratas of existence and of consciousness and psychology. But then you come to discover that the outer is actually just a part of the greater whole. And the journey actually began the other way around, from within, from that place that we call invisible, that is not tangible, the sublime, and beyond the sublime, that emerged and ultimately solidified, congealed to become the defined realities that we know. It's so true, the truth of reality is something that is beyond indeterministic, beyond the probable, beyond all of those definitions. And then it takes on shape. It began as a gas, then it turns into a liquid, and then into a solid. The truth is even before the gas, even before the subatomic particles, it was the spiritual particles, and all the way back to the source itself, the essence of it all, that Abraham discovered was the true oneness, that is the root of it all, and beyond being the root, and everything else emerges from there. And that's the purpose and mission of our lives, is to connect the fragmented universe that we're familiar with, with its integral unity of that invisible tapestry that really connects everything, every detail of your life, every fiber of existence, to truly experience the harmony within the diversity. So, in the final analysis, what you see is not always what you get. What you see is never what you get. What you see is just the surface level. It's part of it, but not the entirety. This has been Simon Jacobson, and always an honor to share a few words. Please, the greatest gift is to share it with others, to pay it forward. Love to hear your feedback as well, your thoughts, comments, suggestions. And I should use this opportunity because something interesting has developed in the last few weeks. Our YouTube programs have literally gone through the... The, the charts, as they say. So this is a great opportunity. If you'd like to share videos with others and help them view them and subscribe to them, this is a good time to do so, just to get the momentum going and keep the momentum going. But above all, it's really, hopefully, based on that you really that value and appreciate and find value in these messages. So again, Simon Jacobson, MeaningfulLife.com is our website. Meaningful Life Center is our YouTube channel. Check it out. 
a wide array of programs every week, different topics. And I invite you to uh, listen and to enjoy. We're doing now, every once a month, a new series called What the Stars Say About You, an astrology, a zodiac series about our signs and many other very fascinating topics. Be well, be blessed, and connect to that which is beyond and bring it back into your daily routines. Thank you. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com donate.